listening to The Lake. A warm welcome to all of you out there listening. You're listening to The Lake Radio, and today in the studio we have free improviser Li Kuan Nin, who is playing a concert this Sunday on the 7th of October in Copenhagen at the venue Mayhem. Welcome to you, Nin. Thank you. It's really nice to talk to you again. It's not the first time that we speak together. I remember the last time was after... Uh, meditation session. Um, you're a classically trained percussionist, but now you do some other things. Maybe you should finish the sentence there. Yes, um, I'm classically trained percussionist, but uh, since I was a teenager, I was uh, really interested about uh, improvisation. First through free jazz, I've been introduced by a friend when we were at, at high school and his father had a huge collection of free jazz LPs and uh, the detail is uh, that they also had a very good hi-fi system so it helped a lot the first time he put a record it was a Cecil Taylor solo record so pretty radical when you don't know free jazz and uh, I had of course a sort of cultural shock it was just amazing but It was also a physical shock because the, the the sound was so good that it was like the piano and the pianist appeared in the in the room. So it helped a lot to have a sort of uh, sense, physical sense of the music. And from that, I was interested about also free improvisation. And I started to listen to the musicians who were playing in Paris, in the suburb of Paris, because I was living there at that time. And uh, I started to improvise myself, also during the, my um, studies of classical percussion. So I always did both, you know, like to play contemporary music with the percussion and to improvise freely also.
Can you explain how your setup? What is? How do you play? Um, what does it look like? So now the the setup is pretty minimal because I only use a bass drum, but uh, on on the flat mode. So it's not. Uh, uh, it doesn't stand like um, like in the drum kit. So uh, it's like a, a small table sort of. Yes, a sort of table, a sort of timpani. So I can use the 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 skin as a surface. So I use mainly the the bass drum, not like a drum, meaning that I don't beat so much on it. I can, but I also can scratch things on on it. I can uh, uh, use it as a resonator box and to magnify the uh, the um, harmonics of the objects or instruments I use on top of it. So I have only this bedroom and uh, surrounding me on the floor there are little objects. So it could be um, real instruments like little Chinese uh, symbols but also objects I found or uh, objects that uh, some friends of mine gave, gave me like stones, uh, recycled metals, pieces, things like that. But I also use pine cones and... Uh, Styrofoam, also a bunch of different kind of uh, wires, like carbon wires, metal wires. When I started to improvise, of course, I wanted to, in a way, imitate the masters. And at that time, and still now, I guess, but at that time, I was I was fascinated by Roger Turner or Paul Lovens or Paul Litton, and they were playing drums. I mean, a real drum kit. And I'm not really a drummer. I mean, I never devoted myself to play the drums. I felt that it was not my world, in a way. So I began to improvise with a bigger set Uh, and that looked like uh, a sort of uh, normal contemporary music percussion set. So it's more like a cage. I'm, I was surrounded by instruments with gongs and uh, wood chimes and cymbals and a big table with a lot of uh, pieces of metal and four drums, like the bedroom was already there, but three others. So it was a pretty big, big thing. And I was looking for a sort of a symphonic way of playing. So I could play different rhythms or different kind of material at the same time. But the bedroom was um, already the center, the axis. The fact that I gave up the rest was first because my wife is a cellist and I was thinking, hmm, she only has one cello and she seems happy with it and she seems to work hard on it i mean the, and my good friend michel doneda who plays the soprano saxophone uh he played only the soprano saxophone he doesn't have to carry so many things so I thought, hmm, why should i 
carry and build a big setup like that. And also, if I was, uh, of course, um, and I'm still listening to percussion music all over the world, like, for instance, uh, a djembe player only only has one djembe, and uh, the tabla player only has a pair of tabla, and the Mrinangam player has only one Mrinangam. And uh, why? so why I should you know, bring all this stuff. Maybe I could play only one instrument. So it started like that. And there was a good opportunity. I had to practice with a dancer all during a summer. It was in 95 or 96. And uh, we shared the, the room with a theater company. So I had to set up in the morning and to unset in the afternoon every day. So I became lazy say, hmm, maybe it's the good opportunity to not set everything, but to just stay with the best room to see what happens. And of course, it changed many things because I can't use stands to hold symbols, for instance, so I had to carry them with my hands. The limits, it's much more uh, obvious. to dig, you know, into one instrument and to see what I could uh, explore with it. And more than 20 years later, I still do the same. I still, I still dig, you know, I still... It's not digging, it's, it's, more, it's not really looking for or searching, just to, um, to have a, a journey with it. When you walk in the woods, for instance, you find things. You find a stone, you find a leaf, you find a, a, a feather, you, you find, you know, a pine cone. It's, it's absolutely like that. So I'm not in a, a searching pro- process. It's it just uh, come uh, to me. Yeah, also, um, I mean, I've played a bit of drums, but like not in my, maybe in my wildest dreams, but otherwise... I could never do make the sounds that you make. Like, what sort of practice do you have around free improvisation? Um, it came from the very beginning. And the, the very, very first time I had to improvise, it was for a dance lesson. I had a, a very good friend of mine who was a choreographer, and she was uh, giving lessons. And I had to accompany the lesson. But I had only one tom-tom because it was the only thing I could buy. You know, I was a student and not with a, not a wealthy one. So I, I could only buy one tom-tom and one little Chinese symbol. And the Chinese symbol, why? Because it was cheap. And uh, I, at the beginning, I was um, trying to make more with less. I had only few things. So I really started to combine the symbol with the drum head. And I realized that I could make so many different kind of sounds if I paid attention to what it did. And then I was not boring myself only playing the very uh, typical or very simple rhythms that was uh, requested in a way. Also because the choreographer was counting you know, she was counting for the exercise. So she was, I mean, out loud, like one, two, three, four, and five, six, seven, and eight, and one, you know, like that. So for me, I felt that it was bizarre if I would do the same. 
and to play on top of that because she was already giving the tempo. So I was more interested to play around that with sounds, not, uh, not necessarily within the rhythm. And uh, so I started like that and I still do the same like 40 years later, D definitely. And I still discover what it does because also there is a combination with precision and unknowing what is going to happen because I never know exactly what, what the instruments will do. And so it's, uh, it's constantly uh, playing with um, the surprise, actually. Being precise, meaning to take care of what happens. At the same time, we don't, I don't know exactly what is going to happen. So it's a, it's a fantastic, um, it's playful. So how do you actually prepare for a concert or like the performance on Sunday? You know what? I, um, I really try to not to do not prepare the, the, the concert, but to prepare myself to play, which is in a way different. So of course I have a regular practice. I, I, I just play. Well, I'm, I mean, in improvisation, I, uh, in my practicing room, I just play. Sometimes with some focus. For instance, uh, now I am working to not be the slave of, of my intentions and also the slave of expression, meaning that we are full of circuits and, of course, body circuits, and it makes the way of playing almost always the same. So to observe that is very interesting. And so I try to make the, the, these objects neutral, flat, and uh, without expression. It doesn't mean without interest. It's only without expression. For instance, a crescendo uh, coming from piano to forte with a, a crescendo and with a certain speed, it has an expression. I practice like that, you know, to, uh, to observe all the circuits I have and all, all of my habits, to try to, to play around them. You know, and to uh, to not get rid of them, but to to really make them clear also.
I don't prepare. And I even it took also me years to do not let my mind leading what I'm going to do. For instance, usually the mind would like to rule <laughs> and say, you know, uh, you could start with this. You know, you could start with this instrument and you could do that. And it took me uh, years to get rid of that. So now my mind is totally silent. It doesn't say to me, you should uh, maybe start the concert with this or that. It seems um, silly, but it was very difficult to get rid of that. Very. So now when I am behind my instruments and I'm going to play, my mind is absolutely quiet. And I really don't know how I'm going to start the concert. I really like this moment, despite sometimes it's really scary, of course. I just wait a little bit, like a few seconds, one minute maximum, I guess. And then something is calling, you know, like a little instrument or a stick or something like that. And then I take it and I start. Do you like try to reprogram? Because in a lot of free improvisation or in a lot of jazz music, you sort of want to have, I guess, some sort of body patterning. You practice a lot, so these things come out of you without you having to think about them. But you try to not have these body patterns in some ways. Yes, exactly. It's really... Um It's a constant oscillation between precision, willing, intention, and the opposite of that. So it's uh, and on the same instant you can you can experience both. So it's not something against something else. You know, it's more like a flow, just be a part of the circumstances, and uh, to not try to. Get rid of them or to rule them, you know, it's really to be a part of it. So everything comes from listening, you know. So listening, it's, it's to listen everything. What happens in the room, if it's in the room, if it's outdoor. I am sure that also to start, for instance, the, the improvisation, it already started. The sound activity was already, already there anyway. So I have just have to participate to not disturb the, this, uh, this uh, sound activity, but to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, can we go into some of your techniques? Because I know that with the bass drum on the drum head, you have resin on this. And why do you have resin on the drum head? It was because I had to solve a problem. Um, I remember it. I think it was in '96 or something like that. We were in a sort of residency in an official squat in Grenoble. And I was a part of a collective of artists 
And at some point, practicing, I had to solve a problem. The problem was, okay, I have a symbol in my left hand. I have a bow, you know, um, a double bass bow in my right hand. So my two hands are occupied. So this is really limited. So I wanted to save one hand in order to make something else, you know, because I had, I tried, I still, and I still try to make different layers at the same time. And uh, hmm, I was uh, thinking maybe I could use the head, the drum head. Maybe I could find a solution. And I remembered that we put some rosin on tambourine when I was at the conservatory. Because then with your finger you can rub and then you have a sort of um, rolling. So, hmm, so I borrowed the rosin of my wife. So I, I drew a line, a straight line in the middle of the drum head. And then I put the symbol on it and it was just amazing because it did what I wanted to do, to bow the symbol but with only one hand, plus the resonance box, which is the bedroom, magnify all the harmonics. It was doing something much more than, ex than I expected. And I still use that. Why? Because I'm still amazed of what it does and it's never the same. Do you ever think about how to describe these sounds? It depends on the objects I use. You know, I can, if I use a symbol, for instance, I use mainly Chinese symbol because I can hold them because they, there is a sort of uh, handle uh, on it. And um, I don't know, it's a, it's a very metallic, metal sound. It could be very high pitched, but also I can have very low pitch. Uh, it depends on the angle of the symbol on the drum head. And uh, some people say that it, uh, it reminds them the sound of the subway, for instance, in Paris. So, sort of uh, maybe the brake sound, very high-pitched, something like that. But it's really, it's really uh, big. And sometimes I'm, even, uh, I'm still amazed about the, the volume that can occur. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's huge. It's uh, much bigger than what we expect from this kind of instrument. So also, if I use a pine cone, for instance, I can have a very, very, very scratchy sound with a, little, a big grain. And uh, it really depends. And I can have also very, very thin and uh, delicate sound if I use a uh, um, crotal. You know, it's a sort of small, very thick uh, symbol, I would say. And so I can have very high pitch, very pure. So it's really different depending on what I'm using with it. I've heard you play a couple of times. And 
A lot of the time I hear these materials, it's very tactile, the sound, and sometimes it just takes me completely out somewhere in the imagination, like in a forest or a place where it's raining or something like this. Is the imagination important to you when you play or do these images or feelings occur? No, not at all. It's um, it's very surprising, but when I play, there is two things which uh, I feel they are switched off. is uh, pictures, imagination, and talking. I mean, in my mind. Talking totally disappears. And having images, any kind of images, also is completely disconnected. Tactile is, is the real... I mean, it's a very good word because uh, for me it's really... A question of relationship because of course I feel my instruments I feel the weight I can also um, push on them I can I can raise them and it's something really in the hand and uh, there is a feedback in the body constantly and uh, not only in with the ears but but the entire body I don't try to imitate anything but I I listen carefully to everything so maybe it goes through the instrument now. But I don't want to imitate the rain or the forest or the leaves, you know, in the in the wind or the train or the subway or the you know or a machine or something like that. But uh, because I I like I really love to listen to all of that, and maybe at some point it just go through the instrument only because uh, to listen carefully just to welcome sounds, you know, whatever whatever they are. To go back to um, this thing that you do, um, what does improvising mean to you? And what does freely or free mean to you? Yeah, this is a very, very good question because uh, I mean, probably an, an endless question yeah. without answer. But if we look at, um, on the history of improvisation, the recent history, you know, like from free jazz, not from Baroque music and older kind of improvisation in music in the Western countries. 
from free jazz, a lot of musicians from Europe thought that where they are not uh, American, they are not necessarily black people also, because free jazz was also really connected with the struggles of the black people in the U.S. for their rights. You know, it was the time of Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. It was uh, accompanying also the, this movement for the dignity of the black people in the U.S. But in Europe, we don't have exactly that. So a lot of musicians said, maybe we should do our own free music. But free from what? So at the beginning, of course, it's free from forms, from predetermined forms. But what this uh, freedom is about, you know, is it only because we don't predetermine before the concert what we are going to play? But we are not so free because, of course, we use patterns, we use circuits. So what would be this freedom? So maybe to stay playful is to try to be free from ourselves. So to observe how we work and how we play and to observe all these patterns, these circuits, to play around or to get rid of them or to make something different from them. So it's more like to not be only comfortable on what we know, but to try to go outside of that and to see what happens. And when you do that, then you discover a sort of endless world of a sound universe. For me, it's more like that, to try to, to be free from my habits, constant circuits, to observe how they always want to occupy the space, for instance, you know. And so the playfulness comes from the avoidance of that, or to change the speed, or to change, or to make ruptures, or something like that. So it's, it seems to be simple, but you, you need a lot of energy to do that, actually. At the end, what is improvisation? I really don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it, for me, it's just a participation, you know, because we don't own the circumstances. I mean, we go in the street, for instance, and we don't know that that car is going to pass by. We can't imagine that this person is going to pass by, or, you know, and the light. And so we can't own the circumstances. We can observe and uh, experience it. So it's just to participate. And you participate because you are not bringing a composition. So you are not bringing something which has been written before the moment. But at the same time, you are not born at that moment. So you have also a lot of memories and habits and circuits and something that, uh, that you don't even understand. So it's really to, to deal with that constantly, which is part of the fun. It seems serious. It's a serious game, but it's a game, definitely.
I know that you do this listening exercise. And I thought that maybe you would bring it to the listener out there, um, sort of guide them in listening where they are. Yeah, I can do that. This exercise I just invented for myself, you know. And of course, it's not new. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that many other people practice this kind of exercise. It happened first when I was waiting for a train. And uh, I must say that I like to wait, actually. I like when people are late, <laughs> for instance, for an, an appointment, because then there is an opportunity to listen to uh, what happens. So regularly, I do this exercise wherever I am. I pay attention to everything around. First, the thing is to relax completely, so to be on your feet, to relax, to scan, you know, if you have tensions in your shoulder, in your back, and mainly on your face, like around the eyes, the lips, the jaw, things like that. And then you relax and you start to listen very kindly, not forcing yourself. You just listen very simply and pay attention to the different directions of the sound sources you can hear. Listen from your right, from your left, maybe from in front of you, behind you, maybe up, low. You can feel that uh, sounds are usually coming from all directions at the same time. And then you can also enjoy the fact that you listen different sound sources from different distances. Some are very far away and some are very close. And the beginning of the game is to connect two sounds, one which is very close and one very far. To connect is just to listen carefully to both of them at the same time. It's very simple. And then you can enter also the aspect of the sounds you can hear. So the pitches, if it's very high or low, the material, if it's thick or transparent, if it's sharp. And you can pay attention to the movements because in space you can hear sounds in movement. For instance, a car or a dog uh, running, you know, whatever. It changes uh, position in space, in direction. You can uh, pay attention to the dynamics, the volume, if it's loud or very soft. And you pay attention to the length of the sound, if it's very long or constant or extremely sharp, extremely sudden. One by one, pay attention to these different aspects and then to combine them. If you do this very carefully, it lasts a long time, like 30, 40, 45 minutes, maybe more. And the very end of the exercise is to imagine that you make a step forward. You are not in your body, but you go outside of your body, one step forward, to not be the center of your listening anymore. It's not you listening. It's just the listening that listens by itself. And it's a fantastic experience to make. And then when you feel that you belong to the listening, you belong to the soundscape, you are not the one who is listening to it, then you can step back. It's sort of a listening meditation in a way, except that this um, meditation has a purpose, is to listen. Hmm. I think it was really nice and... Um I don't have so much to, um, to actually further put on top of it. Thank you, Nin, for coming and, and speaking to me. Thank you. So you're playing this Sunday, the 7th of October, 
at Mayhem. That's at four o'clock. And it's together with Yin uh, Xuechen. Or you're not playing together, but you're playing both of you this afternoon. And she's organizing the concert. So, and she's organizing yeah, so concerts. Thank you. I mean, thank to her a lot. Yeah, <laughs> as part of the, it's called Ancestral Modernism, mm-hmm. it's a concert series that she does. Yeah, so definitely be there. It's going to be awesome. My name is Le Kuanin, I am a percussionist, and you are listening to The Lake Radio. (laughs) 